Welcome back to another episode of Saved by the Belial, Late Night Edition. My name is David, and joining me as always is Chris, Sexy Saxman Wormskirch. And joining us in the booth is, what did you call yourself last time? Blue, was it Blue Velvet? Yeah, maybe Blue Velvet. <laughs> Blue That's Velvet. still one of my favorite things you did on NBM Plus, and you've never done it again. No. I will bump up my uh, patronage to executive <laughs> producers. So I can demand that more. Uh, the producers really need you to take this gig up again. Yeah. And I'm sorry, they're giving way too much to say no. Uh, but thank you for joining us for this bonus episode. Uh, joining us again is Eric of Monsters vs. Men Infamy. <laughs> and we're just going to be chatting about a few things that, again, the point of this bonus episode is so that you're not hitting play on a two hour episode. Uh, I don't know about you guys, but anytime I see a podcast episode, that's two hours. I do not hit play at all. That stresses me out to no end. So I thought we'd talk about a few things here. Um, Eric, when you started Monsters vs. Men with Alex, you were not, re- I don't know if it's excited was the right word, but I remember you just being Maybe a little cynical. Maybe cynical. About how it was going to go. Yeah. Cynical. <laughs> distance. It's hard to believe. I would say. Yeah. Distance might be a good word. Like not fully invested in the genre. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, but yeah, I, it's it's been a journey. Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off there. Do you want to finish? No, 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 no. <laughs> You're good. So yeah, how has that played out for you? And what has that done in general for the way that you view movies and shows? Because I mean, I, I think there's a lot of us that when you get into such a niche genre like this, it really makes you reevaluate those standards and ideals that you hold so tightly to and being like, we were talking about arbitrariness earlier, right? Like, it is kind of arbitrary. So yeah, how has that played out for you? Yeah, I mean, I think our, the ways that we critique and, and judge film are arbitrary <laughs> uh, to a large extent. But at the same time, I think you just gain a a greater appreciation for a genre the more that you are exposed to it. And so at this point, you know, on our podcast, I think we're on episode almost 90. And that means we've seen 90 monster films, uh, just about, right? And and before getting into the show, I'd seen probably five uh, that I would actually call a giant monster movie. Um, but really, once you start to look at the genre and you start to see uh, some of the nuance how and some of the tropes and how some of the films play with those tropes, you really start to gain an appreciation. You see things in the films that you weren't seeing before. Um, and yeah, like I, I came into the show as the resident film snob. Alex was the fanboy. I was the film snob. Um, and I still think I, I carry that aspect with me to an extent because I just love film. Um, it's probably... Uh, it's right up there with literature for me as just like my favorite mm-hmm. art form, something that I just love uh, to consume. Uh, I, I love my great pretentious movies, but I've also gained this appreciation for this giant monster genre. And I didn't think I would say that at all, even just a year and a half ago. So it's been a journey in a year and a half. Yeah. 
Yeah, because I mean, I know we've bonded over our appreciation for films like There Will Be Blood and even No Country for Old Men. You know, there's been some uh, you guys had a discussion on MVM Plus about Coen Brothers. I love Inside Lewin Davis. Mm. I know Alex isn't crazy about it. I think it's a wonderful film. I don't think it's nearly as nihilistic as people make it out to be. Um, But yeah, so I mean, so where did you start out before? watching these films like what what did you kind of immerse yourself into and where did you find that i guess that paradigm shift in the process of doing the podcast um man i watched all i watch all sorts of films uh honestly monsters versus men has kind of consumed my viewing habits for better or for worse but like before i was watching things that you would honestly you would probably find these pretty interesting um, there's this uh, series called the Decalogue, which which mm-hmm. is loosely based off the Ten Commandments. There's like a sh- it's like a basically an hour long film for each Ten Commandments, and it's uh I believe it's oh, Polish. Yeah, Stephen Fest. Yeah, I believe it's Polish. Um, really, really interesting, but looks at some really um, what I would consider complex moral issues along the lines of of those Ten Commandments. Um, yeah, it's like a uh, Kieslowski, I think is who uh-huh. it is. Yep. Yeah, I've seen that. And I wanted to watch them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're they're pretty they're pretty uh, intense. Uh, the first one is my favorite. Still, uh, I love the first one. But Eric Eric Romer's um, Six Morality Tales. He's a French director, um, which is, and he's pretty obscure for most people. I don't think most people have have seen uh, Eric Romer's work, but just. I love foreign films. So that mm-hmm. it was a good transition into like like Kurosawa. I, I really appreciate Kurosawa. Mm-hmm. Those were good transitions into Honda, right? And Showa era Godzilla, which was a little bit over the top. But I had to say that, you know, 1954 Godzilla is, is right in line with stuff that I appreciate and, yeah. I, and I love. But then what you saw, though, is, and you guys experienced this with the Kaiju Apostle podcast to an extent, is that some of the films that you weren't expecting much from actually had a lot to offer. And the first mm-hmm. one that really did that for me was King Kong versus Godzilla. King Kong versus Godzilla, uh, not the recent, not the recent, <laughs> not the recent Godzilla versus Kong, but King Kong versus Godzilla is <laughs> just a critique. It's just like a satire on um, commercialism and mm-hmm. uh, kind of, all aspects of Western society, in a sense, the over sensationalism of the media. It's it's a great movie. It's got a couple issues, but honestly, the, some of the messages in that film really stand out to me. And I think it's a comedy. It's a well done comedy. So you see someone uh, in Honda who can make this allegorical masterpiece in Godzilla, and then a biting comedic satire in King Kong versus Godzilla. It's pretty impressive uh, just to to look at his filmography and see the range that he has. Especially that scene where they had the biting satire of monkeys on boats (laughs) when Godzilla took it out from the bottom. That was really just incisive. Oh, yeah, yeah. When he picked up that axe, it's like that axe was a symbol of consumerism. Yeah, that's what I thought too. And then, you know, Godzilla was just (laughs) drilling that uh, you, the atomic breath to the center of the earth. Uh, that was mm-hmm. really, I think, wasn't that just a symbol of uh, our depravity in some sense? Yeah. I, I think so. Where Godzilla was getting the atomic breath to the center of who we are as people, which is uh, hollow. Ooh, yes. 
See, what I'm perplexed by is when did you watch this, Chris? I have not. Oh. <laughs> I'm like, Ooh. I expected to hear something from you and you're being somewhat convincing and I Thank should have you. known better. He was convincing. I thought he had seen it. <laughs> no, I told him he needs to watch at least. I mean, I think you should watch King of the Monsters anyway, but he really definitely needs to watch Skull Island. I would say almost out of those two, it's more important probably to watch Skull Island yeah. to get a better feel. It's really for this weird movie. to watch a movie, uh, Skull Island, like that was made like 60 years after the movie came out. <laughs> Can I just kick him off right oh, now? Oh, man. <laughs> so, okay. So, yeah, you, you kind of went from. I don't, and here, here's kind of my thing is I don't think pretentious or snob is necessarily the best word. I, I get why people use those words. I was reading something that Freddie DeBauer was writing about where, you know, beer snobs and, you know, stuff, coffee snobs can be annoying to a certain degree. But because of people like that, we now have better coffee and better beer. So it's kind of one of the Amen. things you can look at it negatively, except there are people who are like, no. We should hold films to a higher standard. Maybe not every film, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. But like you're saying, I mean, there's definitely, I, I would say nowadays we have some movies that are coming out that are, I, I think are going to be classics, not just in like, um, again, something that you just turn on to watch. But, you know, you're talking about Kurosawa. I mean, obviously people still to this day talk about Seven Samurai. Um, you know, Ikiru is a very, very important film um, in the history of cinema. And I just, I think that's important that you haven't lost sight of that because I think you can go to that trajectory or that pendulum shift of like, well, now I'm just going to watch stuff that's just more sensory. Right, which is fine. I don't think there's anything wrong with that, but we need to remember that there, there, these things started out. I, I don't know if maybe that's accurate, but I don't know the the history of film. I just I get concerned about when we're all of our entertainment is just pure like sensation. Well, it, again, yeah, and it, this comes back to this conversation I was having with uh, my co-host Alex about. Can you, is there a standard that you can derive like artistic beauty from? Um, mm -hmm. And it, it really comes down to this, this point of truth, <laughs> you know, does, can, does truth, do truth and beauty, are, are they two sides of, of the same coin, right? Um, if there is absolute truth, then is there absolute beauty? And if there's absolute beauty, then absolutely we can, we can hold these standards um, you can have an award show like the Oscars and it might not capture like um, the best all the time. There's going to be flaws, but like really what it's saying is there is a standard of beauty that we're, we're trying to uphold. And this is the standard of beauty that we're, we're looking for. Um, mm -hmm. And so I, when I think about some of the films that I absolutely love, um, like Pather Panchali is the Satyajit Ray Indian film. That's, long and slow and boring <laughs> mm -hmm. but it's absolutely it. uh, countercultural it's absolutely introspective um, and it just takes a, a different look at life that that we might not be exposed to in our day-to-day -day lives and I think that's the power of, of film is that it allows us to um, really be exposed to different people living different lifestyles so that that's what I love yeah. about it and then a much more 
like confrontational way than I think some books can be because I think like I know I know this is going to hurt but I think you also know that this is true people are bad readers of books (laughs) so like Mm, I think this is like a really like kind of cheap example but like when the first Hunger Games movie came out and Rue was portrayed by a black character or a black actress when Rue had been black in the books all time like we can't remember basic details, so I think sometimes literature doesn't hit us in the way it wants to when it like uses like structure or poetry to kind of get get into the core. Or sometimes I think movies, just like Kong with an axe, just beat it into us. Like it just jams it down our throat like a big tree. So I think I think movies definitely have that power in a lot in a lot more of a visceral way than I think books can sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, see, I it's one of those things where I, I struggle with, I don't think movies or books are necessarily better or worse mediums uh, for what you're trying to do. I think books can be more effective in making an argument and being more persuasive. I mean, let's be honest, you know, Parasite, it, it's, I, Bong Joon-ho is a phenomenal director. I'll just, I'll say that right up front. The amount of celebrities and people who are in very affluent, positions of life praising that film it, it, it did feel tone deaf right um it's a good film i think it's very challenging i think it blurs the lines between protagonists and antagonists which i'm always a fan of movies like that again no country for old men is just one of the best examples of that in my opinion but do i think parasite really changed the way anyone lived their life i'm not necessarily sure about that right and i'm not saying that's obviously that's a generalization. I recognize that. But again, I I don't, there's not a lot of movies that are pop movies, so to speak, that have done that for me. But again, we're talking about Kurosawa. That that's, Akira is definitely a film that just shook me to my core, Mm -hmm. right? Films like that. um, Even the original Godzilla movie. uh, Again, we're going back to Kurosawa with a high and low. Even movies like Into the Spider-Verse, believe it or not, is an incredible movie, right? And there's there's a lot there that I think if you're willing to have the ears to hear it, you know, to quote a famous person, um, you might have that capability of changing. But I think books are a little bit more intentional where you almost have to engage with it differently. But yeah, I, that standard of what makes a good film is beautiful, you know, is beauty universal is there like all those different things i mean it's hard to have that discussion because we all have different perceptions of what that looks like right the same way that people can love the transformer films and i'm not going to disparage them for that but those it's just like cgi porn right like there's to me there's no substance there but at the same time i also didn't hate mortal kombat right and that was absolutely gratuitous I gave it a 1.5 out of 5, but I still had fun with it. So, <laughs> actually, sorry, 1.75 out of 5, mm. I think is what it was. There you go. Yeah. The, uh, That's film snobbery. <laughs> <laughs> now, to your point, though, David, I, I think you're onto something with engaging with books and engaging, and Chris was saying this too, and engaging with films differently. Mm-hmm. I think the films that do have the potential to change us whether it's a parasite or um i think another influential film in my life is is tree of life um Mm -hmm. uh, a terrence malick film that i know we've talked i don't know 
you said you haven't seen that, David, but you need to some. No, I have. Oh, it's have. been yeah. years, but I haven't seen but, but, it. Yeah, but I just haven't watched The Hidden Life because we still have. That's right. Have to watch that and talk about. Yeah, it we're afterwards. going to do that sometime <laughs> in the future. Yeah. Um, now, Tree of Life, for example, is something that uh, I think if you come back to it, it becomes a little bit more like reading. Right? You revisit mm -hmm. a film, um, and you change in in the process, but you come back to a film a second time. Sometimes you come back to a film a third time. And it's over that yeah. slow process of actually reading. And I, I consider like if you're watching a film like that, uh, a film where you have to engage on, on some sort of intellectual level, I consider that reading to some extent. Whenever mm -hmm. you, you have to come back to a film to read it and gain more from it, those are the films that have the potential to, to change you. Um, not to sound too much like a pretentious snob right now, but that's just what I think. No, I mean, I, I think you're spot on. Um, as you're talking about that, oh man, it's I'm I'm freaking drawing a blank because I was just thinking about it. Uh, Chris, if you have something to say, I'll I'll come back to this. I have not seen the Tree of Life, but I have seen the first Dragon Ball movie, The Tree of Might. Can you compare those two at all? <laughs> well, yeah, there's a. It depends what <laughs> canon you're 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 looking at. Um, a tree of might isn't really canon, but tree of life is in the Dragon Ball series. So, oh, interesting. Yeah, yeah. So, okay. Yeah. It happened in the Did, real like, world. Did like Super do that? Because I know Super brought back Broly. Well, Tree of Life does both, right? It brings back Broly. Whoa. And <laughs> <Damn>. <laughs> <I don't know. laughs> People call it so boring. Yeah. It's got Broly in it. It bring it brings back Broly and it, it also intersperses theological reflections with Broly in Tree of Life. So really, really Holy good. Holy cow, this is yeah. my movie. Yeah. As long as it doesn't have Garlic Jr., we're good. Hey, the Garlic Jr. saga was for filler, not terrible. <laughs> and it was only two VHS <laughs> tapes. I've killed him with my Garlic Jr. takes. Oh no. I'm I'm seriously like as you were saying that, Eric, there was a movie that came to mind, and it's absolutely driving me crazy why I can't think of this. Describe so I'm have it. To edit a it movie out. that you've seen multiple times, David. Yes. Um, Scott Pilgrim. No, not Scott Pilgrim. This is where I need access to my Letterbox account. But, oh, so, and this, but like, to, to while you're thinking about that, David, though, is this is what we see with fandoms, though, right? Is you see people mm -hmm. where a film like King of the Monsters has the potential to to change your life how it changes your life depends on on you as the viewer and also the the messages that this film is portraying but sometimes we see people in fandoms that just cling on to a film and they've seen king of the monsters i mean my co-host for example saw king of the monsters four times in theaters or something like that um <laughs> it's pretty crazy pretty crazy but uh Lots of people do that, and, and I understand. I understand why. There's something that we can cling on to there. Some they see some sort of beauty within that film, even a film, um, a genre film, which uh, is easy for some to kind of just shoo away. But I think we we need to take even genre films like Godzilla seriously. Uh, but it's that multiple mm -hmm. viewings that I think can really actually make an impact on somebody. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I'm just not going to remember what it is, and we're going to be in the middle of talking about the Marvel Cinematic Universe, <laughs> and it's going to come back to mind because that's how my life is these days. Um, but speaking of, like, fandom yeah, let's stuff. let's talk about so it. So 
I know you're not watching Singular Point. Mm -mm. I respect you for that. I I held out until episode five. (laughs) And between the opening song just being one of the best intros to any anime I have seen in my life, and just hearing people losing their collective you-know-what over the fact that these monsters are not the monsters that they thought they should be, I was like, I need to actually watch this show. (laughs) And I'm watching it. And I have someone who shall not be named, uh, but said that this is the best Godzilla that he's seen since GMK. And I'm probably going to agree with him on that. So my the reason why I wanted to bring that up is because whether it's Godzilla vs. Kong, uh, we have... Uh, you know, singular point, you know, these monsters not being the monsters that we thought we were, they were. There's this idea that movies and shows need to fulfill our expectations, right? I kind of, I wouldn't say I butt heads. I very politely reminded a adult on the internet that they were being very immature when they were saying that uh, the MonsterVerse movies are not real Godzilla, that this is not the Godzilla I grew up with, and people who like this, you know, they just don't even want to give other movies a chance. You know, all this just very immature rhetoric. And I just had to ask him, I'm like, why do people enjoying a movie stress you out so much? What is it in your life that has brought you to the point that something that is not physically causing you harm is now becoming such a important and overriding part of your life to the point of, of causing you stress and anxiety. Like this guy was legitimately saying that like his life was being ruined because there are Godzilla fans who like these new movies and they, they did not recognize who Kiryu was from the, the duology. Right. Mm-hmm. And they're like, oh, that would be an awesome design for a Mecha Godzilla. And he was just like, I can't believe it. They didn't know it was Kiryu. So, like, this guy had this meltdown on Reddit. And I quoted a, a Marcus Aurelius quote to him. And because I think I actually remember even reading this in Jonathan Haidt's book, where if you're distressed by anything external, the pain is not due to the thing itself, but to your estimate of it. And this you have the power to revoke at any moment. And I felt that so powerful because with the idea of offense and all these things, like we choose to be offended, right? I I do truly believe that, that we choose to be offended. So again, going back to people who are upset that Godzilla vs. Kong is doing better in the box office than King of the Monsters or the fact that Adam Wingard is being, you know, considered as a, a director again, or people who just aren't happy with what they're getting, like as someone who is adjacent to quote unquote fandom, but somewhat removed, like what would be kind of your advice to people who find themselves getting stressed out about this kind of stuff or kind of what's your perspective on all of that? Cause Chris can relate to that with star Wars. I mean, star Wars fans are some of the most entitled fans in the world. Let's be honest. Yeah. Not you, Chris, but just in general. <laughs> I'm, in the, I'm in that boat, too. <laughs> I I think uh, for me, I like that quote, David. That, that's a great quote. I'm going to steal that. But um, honestly, I think it's a spirit of non-attachment that we have to have to these things. Because at mm-hmm. the end of the day, they're just movie opinions. Um, 
But I think what happens is we get caught up in our opinions and we make our beliefs and our opinions our identity. And, and I think that's what happens to extreme. And social media makes that worse, <laughs> um, which, you know, like I, I know you know, David, but uh, <laughs> uh, social media brings out the worst. But also, I think with fandoms, you let the fandom become your identity. And, mm-hmm. and I mean, it's not wrong, obviously, to, to be a part of a fandom and to enjoy this. But for me, I, I'm always trying to practice a, a spirit of, of non-attachment to these ideas, right? Even these mm-hmm. opinions, knowing that each time that I watch a film, it might change. So why am I getting caught up in my opinion of a film in the first place? Uh, I'm going to change as a person. You're going to change as a person. My advice to anybody that is just getting caught up in this sort of uh, idea that like people have to like films that I like is take take a step back, breathe for a second, and, and just just evaluate what does this adding to my identity, right? What is this ad- adding to my identity? Is my identity really found in uh, Godzilla right now, um, or is there something bigger, more expansive that I can find? my identity in? Um, Can I find my identity in something that we actually share in common, which is the fact that um, we both watched this Godzilla film and found different things in it that we enjoyed? Maybe that's a better thing to cling to than our own opinion uh, about that film. Yeah. Yeah, because I know for me, the thing I've realized is how easily our opinions change. Right. Which, first of all, I did remember what movie I wanted to talk about. So we'll circle back around. I told you it would happen. Um, but yeah, I mean, because I grew up watching Godzilla films. Right. And I love the 90s films as a kid. As an adult, they're not my favorite. Right. And that could change in 10 years. And that's why I've actually tried to walk back a lot of what I've said about being, you know, just being critical with them. Um but I just, yeah, I, I think there's so much that changes in life, right? So when you watch something when you're 15 compared to 25 to 35, if we're so dogmatic about these ideas, like we're really, that's just not realistic to how life is. It's, it's not. Nothing in life is like that. But we act as if these film opinions, as soon as we have this cemented idea, it's so rigid and we're so right that it will never change. You know, and I, I love what you said about identity because, you know, I, I did write an article a few weeks back about Godzilla vs. Kong and I incorporated Noam Chomsky, which I never thought Noam Chomsky would ever talk about fandoms. But, you know, he had a really good quote from this uh, interview back in 93 about sports, right? So he's like, you know, see, if you want to enjoy a football game, that's great. You want to enjoy a baseball game, that's great. Why do you care who wins? Why do you care who wins? Why do you have to associate yourself with a particular group of professionals who you are told are your representatives and they better win or else you're going to commit suicide when they're perfectly interchangeable with the other group of professionals? And I love how just matter of fact he is about that because, you know, it's to me, what I've noticed is, you know, people flit to and fro fandoms, right? So like we invest all this time in this correct opinion about these movies, but then a year later we're focused on another set of movies. And it's just exhausting. Like, you know, I, I, I do wonder what you said about social media. It makes it a lot easier to have that transientness about it. 
but I really struggle about the longevity of how you could live your life like that either. You know, I've got to give props to Chris. I mean, he's been a Star Wars fan for, you know, how long now? I don't I mean, like Star Wars. You Okay. You love Star Wars. I just Star consume Wars, so. it. <laughs> That's true. But, you know, you've, you've been consistent with that. And I mean, I would say you're probably one of the few friends I have, Chris, that is involved in more of a involved fandom capacity, but I've never really worried about how involved you are. Like if I can be transparent on this podcast where we just kind of speak our mind. Um, but yeah, it's, there is definitely that element of wanting to find that identity and, you know, that shared hive mind collective of these different things. And again, I just, I'm concerned about the longevity there, but what about expectations though? Mm. More than just the identity, like, why do you think we buy into this idea that directors and writers and actors owe us something? That's a good question. <laughs> oh man. So Chris, let's, let's, mm. let's, let's put this over to you because let's, let's be on the topic of rise of Skywalker, mm. right? We've had those oh. conversations. Yeah, yes. I know we're going there. Um, <laughs> but we've talked about, you know, the theory that, maybe they cater towards the, the, you know, just a particular subset of people. Right. Um, why, why do we find ourselves believing that these directors and actors and writers owe us something when it comes to a franchise that we have probably no financial investment in? I think because we, see subconsciously that we have invested our identity in their franchise so whatever financial investment we do have is negligible i'm an executive producer of mvm but i'm not of star wars because of my episode suggestion but i think what we think we think that because we've we've invested our identity i think it's we we see our investment is bigger than just some sort of monetary compensation but instead Mm. we almost our our whole identity relies on you making me a good movie because from 2015 to 2000 to December 17th, 2019, everyone liked Star Wars pretty well. And so everyone was texting me about all the background stuff, all the books and the comics. And then December 18th, all of those texts stopped. And the few that I got, I didn't want to answer anyway. So I think we, we, we've invested our identities and we expect the directors to honor that. And the directors didn't ask us to do that. And I think a lot of that comes into when we, it's the same thing with sports. I assume I'm not a big sports ball man myself, but when we do shed our identity into something else, something that we can't control, our expectations can have to be held high because we've invested ourselves in it. It's like every time you watch a movie and your personality changes, but it's like every time you buy another piece of merchandise with Godzilla on it, which is why I think I've seen some people get mad that there's some little King Kong versus Godzilla kids book, like even friends fight sometime. And I'm like, I don't think those two were friends, boyo, but these ultra serious ultra like BA (laughs) Godzilla fans are like, well, that book doesn't fit the identity that I've crafted based on movies that I've seen a lot. So I think those expectations are really kind of like, it's really, there's so much in reality, there's nothing, but in our minds, in our estimation, Mm -hmm. there's so much writing on these going well, because 
I think that people only like me. This isn't true, but I'm speaking hypothetically. I think people only like me as much as they like Star Wars. I think people like me only as far as they liked King Kong versus Godzilla. So out of that, I think we need directors. We are reliant on directors to make our identity worthwhile. We're relying on directors to make our investment have a strong ROI. And every time it doesn't seem like that's been met, whether it's because not many people mm. were probably going to see King Kong versus Godzilla anyway, or whether it's because Rise of Skywalker was a bad movie. Talked about objective beauty earlier, but um, all of that is because we've invested so much because sometimes we don't trust our own personality. Like I say that some people like my personality is Star Wars. That's not true. I just don't. Mine's boring, but because we've and because we rely so much on other people we have to expect more because we can't generate our own sometimes yeah you you hit on something really good there and it just kind of clicked for me so you said our identity is built into how good these movies are right and i've seen that in the kaiju fandom where people are like well if this movie isn't good people are just going to keep yeah. perceiving these movies as being schlockfest and i've had that Maybe. conversation i'm like who cares? Who cares what other people think? I mean, unfortunately, that's just built into that stigma. And it, I mean, I'm not saying it's impossible to change, but what people don't think about is even with Star Wars, even with Star Wars, the money comes from the general audience. It does not come from the diehard fans. The hundred fans that watch it 10 times, that's not where the money is at. It's the people who are like, hey, Star Wars, I grew up watching that. Let's go see it. And they take their whole family and they make a Christmas event out of it. That's where the money comes in. With Godzilla vs. Kong, the money came from general audience, not the hardcore fans. That's who the directors and the writers and the, the production companies, that's who they're catering towards. Obviously, they want something that the fans will enjoy. But like I remember when I saw it, it was, uh, yeah, opening night. Like No one there would be the person I would look at and be like, that's a Godzilla fan. Like there's like a bunch of 15 year old girls who are very preppy, which is fine. They were there and just some like run of the mill people. No one was wearing Godzilla shirts or costumes or anything like that, which is fine. And I heard people talk about, yeah, I've never really watched a Godzilla movie before, but they saw it and they're like, this looks fun. So I, I think you're right, Chris. I think if, if we, invest our identities in these movies and we feel like the quality is going down then we are concerned about what that does to how people perceive us because if people think star wars movies are bad but i love star wars movies then all of a sudden now we're worried about how people see us as not being whatever weird subjective standard we've kind of come up with for and how we and that's really the thing because there's two there's two dimensions to that and the first dimension is something that I tell uh, the youth group and the college kids that I work with. I just tell them, like, literally no one's thinking about you as much as you're thinking about you. I promise most people who don't see you physically are going to think about you zero times a day. So it's the same thing with Godzilla. It's like when King Kong versus Godzilla is not on their screen, they are not thinking about Godzilla. I promise you. Like, it's just a thing that we we have this weird perception that everyone's constantly thinking negatively about us. And I think it's so freeing to remember no one's thinking about us ever some yeah. days. But I think a lot more than that, it's just like, it is these general audiences. And I think 
when we can have an open hand to these things where we can say Godzilla versus Kong was made for a general audience. It was made for people who are still right, writing. Guys. Go ahead and edit that. I am going to add a sound effect of just the biggest explosion ever. Uh, you finally said it right. No. But like, there's there's so many people who saw that movie, not because they got, not because they rented a private screening, not mm. because they risked the pandemic to go see a movie, but because AT&T gave them a free year of HBO Max when they re-upped their internet subscription. That's mm-hmm. why they saw the movie. And that's a good thing. Because every person who sees King Kong versus Godzilla is yeah. another chance for someone to go watch all of the rest of the movies, join yeah. you on Reddit, and become a potential best friend. And every time that you hold that back from someone, you're just holding back a chance to meet someone new and make a friend and have your life expand. And it's really not making a better fan movie doesn't necessarily mean more people are going <laughs> to want to see it. I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. No, absolutely. Like I was talking to my managers about the movie, you know, they've got kids and they watched it. I mean, they're not Godzilla fans at all, but no, I am because I sell cars and Godzilla shirts. I might be the only car salesperson in the United States who wears Ultraman and Godzilla shirts, but That's probably we true. have those conversations. Right. And I'm not going to be like, well, you haven't watched the other ones. Why are you watching this? It's no, come, come on, get over yourself. Like this, this should be something that we rejoice in is that something we care about maybe too much, but something we care about other people want to partake in that should be that that's a cause of celebration in my opinion. Um, also the movie I want to talk about was silence, such a good movie that that is a movie that made me rethink my life. I haven't, I can't say that about a lot of movies. Um, but yeah, that was like, I know it's on the tip of my tongue and yeah, that, uh, that's a great one. It's yeah. horrible. That's a great one. I, I, yeah, that one has had an impact on me as well. Yeah. Uh, and the book, I can't remember the author, but yeah, that, that movie, uh, that story and just what it represents has had mm-hmm. a big impact on me. That's a great one. Yeah. But that gets back into movies like that are definitely not meant just to be, not to just let it wash over you. Mm-hmm. Right. You're actually meant mm-hmm. to really immerse yourself in that. Um, and speaking of just movies washing over you, you've been watching the Marvel movies with your wife. And how has yes. that been? Like, how far but, into it are you guys now? So I've seen all the Marvel movies before. But yeah. She has not. And so good for her. She watched like the first episode of WandaVision, maybe the first and second. And she's like, I like this. I'm like, uh, I think you need to go back and watch the entire thing. <laughs> the worst thing you can say to a fan yeah, of yeah, the exactly. franchise like, is, I've liked this little bit. And they're like, suddenly like, do you want to start a podcast about it? And you're like, oh boy. Well, it's funny because it's just what David said he shouldn't do is to his his coworkers. I like Godzilla versus Kong. Oh, well, you should go back and watch all the others. But no, that's what I told my wife to do. I said, I said, you absolutely have to watch all the other Marvel movies. It was in our vows. Watch another episode of WandaVision. That's funny. (laughs) Otherwise... Um, I wasn't, yeah, I wasn't going to let her watch it. Absolutely not. No, I'm just kidding. But, um, <laughs> she, uh, <laughs> yeah, we, we decided to, to, to take the leap and start from the beginning and we are all the way up to, we just finished Ant-Man and the Wasp. So we've Such got Captain Marvel and in Endgame when did you start and this? Spider-Man. When did we start it? Uh, right around when, uh, WandaVision came out. 
Holy cow. Is that a lot? It feels yeah, like I a mean, lot. It's like one movie a week. Yeah, I, I'm pretty okay, sure I got fair. that far in about a week and a half. So, yeah, yeah. that's not. <laughs> <laughs> I guess that's coming from me, who's kind of overwhelmed by even how many we watched per episode here. So, <laughs> well, no, like, honestly, it takes us it takes us three nights to watch a movie because she usually falls asleep, not because she's not enjoying herself, but that's just how she watches movies. So, um, but we've we've liked them, honestly. What's been her favorite so far? Her favorite is the original Iron Man. Yeah. So, uh, so it's all gone downhill from the beginning. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I know it stinks, <laughs> but that, that's been her favorite. I think she really liked, um, I would say her other top ones, she liked Captain America Winter Soldier. Mm-hmm. She really liked uh, Spider-Man Homecoming. And she just recently really liked Black Panther yeah. uh, a whole lot. And Black Panther is really good. Um it's another thing that we kind of go back. Alex, my co-host, and I go back and forth on. I uh, like did Black Panther desert, deserve the the critical acclaim that it received? The more I watch the movie, the more I think it it does. Um, the more he watches the movie, the more he thinks it doesn't. Mm-hmm. So it goes back to that idea of uh, is there this absolute truth and beauty within within that movie? Um, and I just think that movie is a little bit more nuanced than most of the Marvel films. I think there's a uh, a compassion and I want to call it a sympathy for for Killmonger, the main antagonist, but just a, a general understanding of of where he's coming from. There's a complexity to to his motives that we don't see in a lot of the the Marvel films that I really appreciated with uh, Killmonger in Black Panther. I I think it is sympathy though, like, and that's yeah. where I I was agreeing with you more than I was him. Like to have sympathy towards someone doesn't mean you agree with what they're doing. Like, mm-hmm. literally, the definition of sympathy is to have <laughs> feelings of pity and sorrow for someone else's misfortune. That's uh-huh. it. That's all yeah. you have to do. And I'm like, Alex, <laughs> you're not even being rightfully pedantic here. Like, you're you're just missing it. But he yeah, just, I don't think just... it's that hard to be like. <laughs> Yeah, he obviously was very extreme with his ideals, but you have mm-hmm. to have some kind of sympathy that leads someone up to that point, right? Yeah. And yeah. Alex, I know you're listening. I'm I'm busting your balls here, but that that's it. Is I think, you know, I think some people take it too far and be like, "Well, Killmonger was right," and I'm like, ah, I can't really say he was though. Uh, but yeah, I, I think there is an element there of having a antagonist where you're like. I wouldn't do it myself, but I can see how he got there. Right. Mm-hmm. And I don't think it's that hard to get to yeah. that point. I think Black Panther gets a little credit in that it's one of the few that come to mind it right away where the villain has a somewhat maybe sympathetic viewpoint and the hero doesn't beat the snot out of him for holding it. Yep. Even um like wait, Eric, have you seen Captain or Captain America and the Winter Soldier? Okay, so I won't no, bring but I can close my ears for a no, second. No, I won't. I won't. I won't. But okay. like, just in general, like I brought it up in the last episode. I think that like the Spider-Man villains are like, well, Tony Stark, a billionaire enterprise or entrepreneur, ruined my life, and Spider-Man's like, you deserve a punch for that. Mm-hmm. No, that's an episode that we haven't aired yet. Uh, but anyway, like <laughs> all the villains have like pretty. I think all the villains like they like they're like, well, we're we're effing over the planet, and the hero's like, well, I'm gonna laser beam you to death for thinking that. 
But mm-hmm. Black Panther doesn't do that to Killmonger because what happens is that T'Challa learns from both Nakia and from Killmonger that no, we actually do have we do owe the world something, and the world it's what do we owe the world and it's pushed out and to or yeah in the way that both of them force T'Challa to learn it's not something we see in a lot of the MCU so no yeah yeah those are the best ones right where. Yeah, exactly. Those are the best ones. And I think that's why Iron Man is effective as well, is, is Iron Man has this sort, another sort of arc where, you know, Tony Stark really a, has an arc as an as a character and changes as a person. Yeah, it's in his chest. Um, <laughs> you beat me to it. <laughs> but no, True. I mean, so again, I keep citing all of these MVM Plus. Uh, well, no, you, you talked about this in the underwater review, the idea of grief, right? And that's what I loved about WandaVision is you really see her wrestling with what grief is in her life and how she's coping with it. Like she literally made herself a family because she could not deal with the pain. She was kidnapping and brainwashing people because she could not deal with that pain. And you could be like, well, how could she do that? Uh, (laughs) Plenty of us do that. With I will ask Alex things. if she's sympathetic next time. <laughs> yeah. But like, I mean, you, you could find a hundred different things we use to cope for, for pain, right? Drugs, uh, pornography, uh, gambling, whatever it is. And none of it actually brings that substance, right? And that's, that's what I did love about WandaVision is I think just like Black Panther, it's one of the most, if you're going to have a Marvel movie again that we talked about, it could actually inspire some kind of change. Those are two really good examples. You know, Winter Soldier, great movie. But again, like we talked about before, we all know that, you know, the government spying on you is bad. There wasn't really anything that changed (laughs) my opinion on the world through that movie. Um, But yeah, Black Panther and WandaVision. And I think some of these uh, other films that are coming down the pipeline could potentially do that. So it'll be interesting to see. Yeah. So I'm excited about it. Yeah. Uh, so last question here, are you going to watch more Ultraman anytime soon? And if so, what do you think you'll end up watching? Well, next, I was excited to hear that you guys are just continuing on to Ginga S, Mm -hmm. uh, because I'm going to watch it. (laughs) Um, so I'll be excited to listen to those episodes. Yeah, I'll probably watch Ginga S. Um, and then what comes, what comes after that as far in, in the continuity? Uh, chronologically is... Ultraman X. X. Then that's probably what I'll Ultraman watch after. SX. Do yeah. with that what yeah. you will. This is what I'm going to say in regards to your thoughts about not having a science team with uh, Ginga, right? So oh, Ginga yeah. S kind of gives you a little bit of one. X does, but you actually get character arcs with those people. Mm-hmm. So that's good. Okay. But like Alex was saying, Orb completely does a new spin on that. G definitely does a new spin on that. It's it is nice with these newer generation shows. I think the closest we've seen to like a science patrol again was with the Z, and I still feel like we got more out of those characters than we did with the original. So I think that is something that these newer generation shows, apart from like one exception, uh, I think they get right is they actually mm-hmm. give these ancillary characters a reason to care about them, right? Because yeah. 
David, you just said the words, Ginga kind of gives it to you. And then you did not follow that with X going to give it to you. You know, I'm just, I'm around on fumes at this point, man. <laughs> so, Ultra disappointed. Uh, not. <laughs> I'm excited. Uh, I'll probably will watch X after mm-hmm. uh, Ginga S. So. That's that's the trajectory I'm heading in. It's going to be a little bit before I go back to Ace, yeah. um, which is the the next like show I need to watch after. But after it took me six months to watch Return of Ultraman, I'll, I'll go back to Ace at some point. Uh, honestly, I like to revisit original Ultraman episodes from time to time, mm-hmm. uh, just because I find them charming. Right? There's that sentimental charm. So, yeah, um, I'll probably watch a couple of those interspersed with some newer stuff. Um, because again, this was only my second taste of of newer Ultraman after Ultraman C. So, and I liked I liked what we what we received with Ginga. So I'm I think you'll more. really like Ultraman X. So, out of the newer Gen shows, Z just has that special spot for me because it was the first full new Gen show that I watched, and obviously watching it with people all over the world, like that was such yeah. a cool experience, me. right? It was cool, um, really cool. I think Jeed probably has the best story. Mm. Like for a new gen show, but X is right up there for just. I feel like it shouldn't work, but it does. (laughs) It's so good. If you're watching Ultraman Ginga S next, you should check out this podcast called Saved by the Belly All. I heard they're doing that next. I'll I'll think about it. Add it to your list. See if I can find it. Yeah, I'll see if I can find it. X does have one of the best Pigmon episodes, though. I will say that. Oh my god, that's next. <laughs> all right. Uh any lingering thoughts here or are we all kind of getting ready for bed here? Um I don't know if anyone has anything they want to say. Thanks again. You guys appreciate it. Yeah. Thanks for having me on and for this bonus episode as well. It's been fun. Yeah, we're nice enough we don't put them behind paywalls. Ouch. <laughs> Subscribe for $5 a month to Monsters vs. Men. $2. Yeah. No, I'm getting you more. Those are <laughs> yeah, rookie yeah. numbers. We're climbing those numbers up, baby. You are clearly not a salesman. <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah, I'm upselling. If I say five right. enough, people are going to be like, wait, there's a $2 option. They're going to sign up for that one. Yeah, true. true. This is reverse psychology. Trust the two guys who work in sales to get you Patreon. Bye, guys. This is Blue Velvet signing off.